amen. It is great to be together and worship our great God together. I, I can't remember a week in my life that began with the, uh, the strength of the Lord like this past week began. Uh, I don't know about you, but what a glorious Lord's Day we had last, last week. And that just set up the week um, with God's amazing work among us. And uh, um, I, I, I was entirely exhausted by the end of Sunday. And frankly, I think that's the way it ought to be when we gather together and worship our God, you know. There's a sort of a sports term, an athletic term, that you leave it all on the field. And, and I think above all, God's people, when we come to gather together and to worship our great God and lift up His name and praise Him together, that we ought, in fact, leave it all. We ought to leave it all at the throne of Christ and uh, give all of our energy and all of our effort and all of our praise and all of our adoration to the great God who we serve. He is King. He is a great King. And it was amazing last Sunday night to gather here with more than 800 plus people who, uh, who were here from all different churches. And we were lifting up the name of the Lord and calling out to the Lord to do great and mighty things uh, among us. And um, it was a great week of, of opportunity for ministry. And uh, through the week we had opportunity, as I was thinking about that song, The Lord Gives and the Lord Takes Away. We had opportunity to minister to the McVeigh family. And there were between four and 500 people here in midweek and Wednesday and uh, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, some perhaps for the first time, or first time in a very, very long time. And of that, of that number, maybe a quarter or more were, were police officers. And, and so uh, we had that opportunity. We asked you to pray about that. And then there were other ministries of, of our congregation that were, we were involved in throughout this week. And then last Sunday night, right where Pastor Duane is sitting, a young man received Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And that sets off a week in, in a, with a big celebration, because... For sure, there's a celebration in heaven when that happens. And so there's a celebration among us. And then I got a phone call on, on, on Friday morning that the, uh, the rally at the campus is off. Because the administration has decided arbitrarily that it's off. And so, you know, you wonder to yourself, what in the world is going on? And then I realized, as I've been preaching this series to you, that the reality is demonstrated and pictured right behind me, over my shoulder. When you peel back all of the smiles and all of the suits and all of the uniforms and all of the offices and you look into the invisible, the reality is we are in a fierce battle with the wickedness and the evil things of this world. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers in high places. And so we pictured for you last week in Daniel chapter 7 the kingdoms of this world. And they were pictured not as faces of people but rather as faces of fierce beasts. Now think about this. When God chooses to describe to us and picture the realities behind the scenes and shows us the picture of what we're up against, he demonstrates with beasts, but not only a lion, but a lion with wings. Lions are are fierce enough, but imagine a lion with eagle's wings. Bears are fierce enough, but here's a bear that's that's chewing the, the last vestiges of the last flesh that it's devouring. As it's devouring all flesh, God says, as it marches its way across the landscape. Leopards are fierce, but how about a winged leopard with four heads? And then there's this beast that uh, comes up as called the fourth kingdom that is, that is a fierce beast and can't really be described as anything that's ever been of a created thing. It's a, 
It's a transformer, a, a, a Metallica thing. It's, it's a gross, horrible, wicked, fierce, evil thing with ten horns looming upon us, bearing down upon us, desiring to destroy every good thing of God. And sometimes I'm not sure that God's people really take all this stuff all that seriously. I was doing an annual inventory of um, our congregation this past couple weeks, trying to get a handle on who's all here, who do we have. Do you realize there are 2,480 souls that identify themselves with this church? And that's not all, because I know that in the, in, in the roster, there's, there were names that I knew that were, were not there, that, that are part of us. This morning, there'll be about 900 people here. You do the math. Where are the other thousand plus people? Plain church light. When there are fierce beasts of wickedness prowling, looking to devour, looking to sweep away and rip up everything good that God wants to do. Can we as God's people afford to live Christianity light? I would submit to you that because I really believe God is up to some amazing things and I, I, it was demonstrated throughout this week in, in, in what happens and what, what is resisted, what doesn't happen. It's clear that God is up to some things and frankly, it's going to be a very dangerous place to be, Calvary Baptist Church, if you want to play Christianity light. And that's, I think, the message that God is giving to us. And as you look at a book like Daniel or other books like Revelation or whatever, where, where actually the, the, the uh, invisible is made visible for us. We are up against things, principalities, powers, fierceness and ferocity in, 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 in uh, um, magnitude that we have no imagination for. And so it is imperative for us as we leap back into the book of Daniel to think about these things. And to realize that um, in this panorama of the kingdoms of man and their fierce opposition, fueled by the wicked fury of the evil one, we live every day of our lives in the thick of battle. But the good news that came out of Daniel chapter 7 is all of this that encompasses us and desires to destroy us and devour us and kill us. Over all of that is the Ancient of Days who sits upon his throne, the one that we've been worshiping this morning, the one that we've been lifting up our voices and praising, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods. He alone sits over the, 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 uh, the, the events of mankind, the history of man. He alone is the one who's in charge, the sovereign God, the one over all things. And so God's people, while we are told to be realistic and, and not to be ignorant about these things, we're also told not to lose our footing, not to become uh, fearful, not to become discouraged, but rather to look heavenward and know that the battle is the Lord's. 
That's the things that Daniel wants to bring to our attention. And so in Daniel chapter 7, he had a dream in about 552 or 551 B.C. Two years later, as he was tucking himself into his little wooden bed for a nice night of sleep, he had another dream. It's recorded in Daniel chapter 8. In fact, um, this particular scenario is the bear and the leopard that you see in Daniel chapter 7. He narrows the focus from four, four or f- well, five kingdoms, the everlasting kingdom of God. He narrows it down to two kingdoms. He wants to speak to us. God wants to speak to us about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of that bear and the kingdom of that leopard. Only he gives us two different types of animals. And by the way, it was 549 B.C., 10 years before the the fall of the kingdom of Babylon. Now, there are, I'm sure, a huge percentage of people in here who said, man, you know what, I dropped out of history uh, really early in high school because I'm not the least bit interested in this kind of stuff. And and, And at the risk of your eyes glazing over this morning saying... Why are you talking about Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome and all of this stuff and geography and warfare and all that kind of stuff? Man, I checked out of high school. I checked out of that stuff so long ago. Listen, I don't want you to glaze over this morning. I'm I'm going to, uh, if I see your eyes glazing over, I'm going to come down and I'm going to walk real close to you. And I'm going to start shouting around you. Because this is God's word. This is the same God who used his word to speak the universe into existence, determined that out of 6,000 years of human history, that this chapter mattered. And it mattered to us. And so if I can implore you, if I can urge you, if I can encourage you to say, this ain't going to be like high school history this morning. I can tell you that right now. This is going to amaze the socks off of you. All right? Now let's stay with me. Daniel chapter 8. Are you there? Um, by the way, um, this vision that Daniel has in, in J- Daniel chapter 8, uh, God basically took his human history playbook and opened it up before Daniel that he might bring it to us. And he zeroed in, as I said, on specifically on two kingdoms. And so accurate is the history that is presented to us here that liberal scholars who are set at removing the supernatural from the scriptures, declare that there's no possible way this could have been written in 549 B.C. It had to be written by someone who lived around 164 B.C. Because so, like 400 years later, because so accurate, so specific, so exact to history is this presented... And those who don't believe in God, don't believe in supernatural, say this is a big lie. This is, there's no way this could have, could have happened. But for us who believe in God, for us who understand the nature of God, for us who have had a vision of the ancient of days, for us who are followers of Jesus Christ, for us who've had a life-transforming encounter and experience with a real living God, this is nothing for God. In fact, um, it says in the text itself, I'm going to tell you what's true. Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. By the way, no historians dispute these names or these places or these times. No historians. 
In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa. Now, Susa, by the way, is in Iran. You find Susa exists today. It's, it's a small uh, uh, antiquity center there in Susa, that, which, by the way, houses for tourist purposes the tomb of Daniel. Although it is indisputed for the most part among biblical scholars that that is the tomb. In fact, it is the tomb of Daniel. It's found today in Iran and Susa. The province of Elam, in the vision I was beside the Ulai Canal, I looked up. And there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Interesting, interesting fact. The second kingdom, which came into power, which we're going to, it's going to be revealed to us shortly as I read. This second kingdom employed elephants... To do battle. They were the first of any nation that ever uh, employed the use of, of war elephants. And so there's a, really a double entendre here to this prophecy. When it says no animal could stand against him. It's referring to the beasts, the beasts that are described in Daniel chapter 7. But it's also making this reference of their, their war, war skills. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west. Crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had been standing beside, or, or I had seen standing beside the canal, and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great. But at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. And then the sanctuary will be reconstructed. Now, I just suspect as you're kind of people who do uh, do your devotions and you're reading along in in the Bible and you come to this particular chapter and you start reading this, you stop reading it and you say, I'm skipping this, I'm going on to something else. Well, you would have stopped too soon. Because in fact, now, the interpretation of this vision is about to come. So stay with me. While I, Daniel was watching the vision and trying to understand it, he's struggling as much as we are. There before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, you heard of that guy's name before? Tell this man the meaning of the vision. 
I wonder whose voice that was. You think it was the voice of God? As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Daniel was like on the floor. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And then he touched me and raised me to my feet. And he said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true. But seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Well, this is the word of God. 500 years of history. Father, we are preparing ourselves right now for your message to us. Lord, um, I pray that this word, this vision from... Daniel's book, your book, will invade our hearts with a new power and passion and enthusiasm that we might see more clearly the issues of the things around us and that we might know with greater clarity how to respond. I pray, Father, that you might uh, drive into our hearts a a new action plan in our lives for how we are going to face the warfare that's all around us. And Lord, you are giving us graphic illustrations. You are are presenting to us real life happenings around us to get our attention. And then you're showing us from your word that this is the way things are. Now, Lord, I pray that we might not squander this, but that we might uh, in every way welcome uh, what you want to tell us in your instruction and then welcome the power and presence of God's Spirit that we may with courage and security and comfort and, and passion... Set aside any playing games with God, playing Christian light, and get on board with full form and full blast, Lord, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So what are we supposed to understand from this stuff? Daniel set, set out himself to say, I, you know, I, I want to understand, I'm trying to understand this stuff, and And he took it seriously as a prophet of God, as one who had seasoned in the things of God. He had walked with God and was walking with God. And for him, when when God was up to something, he wanted to make sure he knew what it was about. 
And so I would, I would say to you that there are some really important, enduring lessons for us, even post-history. Particularly. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, out of all that God could have said, why did he pick this? Why did he want to tell us this? And, and I think the first um, observation that I want to make this morning is this, that regardless of how senseless and harmful the nightly news seems to be, or in particular, your own individual life, when you think about the things that are going on around you, around us as a church, the, the things that are disturbing and, 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 and the, uh, the things that are tragic and things that are rebellious, and we, we wonder what's going on and we wonder where God is and we're trying to make sense of things, all this stuff that could lead us to total discouragement or a, a sense of meaninglessness, of, of throwing up our hands and saying, what is the use? For, for me, something like this, a text like this, tells me that God is taking the history of humans somewhere. That, that God is purposeful. That God is, is up to something all the time. That, that he is employing the things of, of people, the, 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 the actions of people and history of people, to move forward. That's why in verse 19, uh, the, the, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, I am going to tell you what will happen. And it will happen. So he literally is saying, I think to Daniel, prepare to be amazed. Now, Oshawa is a pretty um, unreasonable facsimile in terms of the amazement factor. This is really amazing stuff, all right? Oshawa is pretty amazing. But quite honestly, when you want to put a moniker on something and a, a logo on something about amazement, it should probably be written over Daniel chapter 8, prepare to be amazed, Daniel, and everybody else who ventures into this book down through the ages. Uh, what I want to do uh, with you this morning, because um, I, I want to try and put some structure to this. These are words on a page that flow in a linear order, but I want to put some, some visual structure to this. And, and, and the best way I know how to do that be background being a science major is to make a chart for you. Now, I don't even pretend to think that you're going to have time to jot down this whole chart. But I have really good news for you. See, these notes are available for you at the office. All you have to do after church is you go there, you storm the office, say, Krista, please make me a copy of the notes. Or we'll put them on the website as well, or so you can get them there. So don't, don't panic if you can't get this all written down. I just want you to see how amazing God's Word is. And, and for those of you who aren't history buffs or all of that, you just, just buckle your seatbelts and come on with us. I want to take you in three journeys. I want to show you the vision, which, which starts in, in one, uh, verse 1 and goes through to verse 14. I want to then talk about the prophecy that was made in, in the verse, verses that follow, verse 20 to 25, in order, in where it said, this is what will happen. And then I want to take you to history and show you that this is what did happen. All right? So here we go. And, and for all you rednecks out there, I was thinking about you this week. And so in the chart, you're going to see that I don't talk about horns, I talk about points. Because I know you guys are into points. Five points, ten points. I'm talking about a two-point ram, two-point sheep, two-point buck sheep to be exact, and a, and a one-point hairy he-goat, all right? So, so you rednecks will stay with me too, because I know you guys don't like history. So here we go. We got this... Um, the first of this vision is there's going to be this two-point buck sheep budding to the west to the north, and to the south, verses 3 and 4, all right? 
And, and you saw the pictures of them before, the, the drawings, the renderings of them. And, and that's the vision. And then the prophecy that Gabriel gave was, was here's what this is all about. This, this two-point buck sheep is the kings of Media and Persia that are about to come upon and dominate the world. All right? Now, remember, this is ten years before Babylon had been overthrown by the Persians and the Medes. What happened in history? Well, exactly that. In 550 BC, Persian Medes got together and started to start things happening. And they had a, over 200-year domination of the, of, the, uh, uh, of the then nearest world. And, and su- surprise, surprise, they started in the kingdom of Babylon and pushed out to the west to Asia Minor. They pushed to the north to the Caspian Sea. And they pushed to the south to Ethiopia. The prophecy, what did the prophecy say? The prophecy said that there would be kings, uh, two, two horned kings that would come and they would push to the north, to the west, to the south. This is precisely what they did. And they dominated the world. And after that, the prophecy, the text says in the vision, that there'll be a one point hairy he goat that will come from the west and its one horn will be broken off. Now, why do I call this thing a hairy he-goat? Well, simply put, the, uh, the original language, and by the way, in Daniel chapters 1 through 7, it's written in the language of Aramaic. But starting at Daniel chapter 8, it transitions into the, uh, the uh, language of Hebrew. Sorry, starting in Daniel chapter 7, it starts into, into Hebrew. And the last chapters are in Hebrew. Why? Because they are fundamentally directed at God's Hebrew-speaking people. The Jews. Now, it says there's going to be this one point. And why, oh yeah, the, the, why the hairy he-goat? Well, in the Hebrew language, the description of this beast is this in Hebrew. Hashapir, hasa'ir. Get the double H sound? It's called Hebrew assonance. And I thought to be honest to the text, I need to describe this beast with a couple of H's. So a hairy he-goat is what I call a shaggy ram, all right? A shaggy goat, I should say. And, and it talks there about coming from the west. And, and then the prophecy of what will happen, it says this large horn represents the first king of Greece that goes on attack. He will come with fierceness. It says not even touching the ground with swiftness. What happened in history? 334 to 323 B.C., Alexander the Great takes over and in an unprecedented and and unparalleled in history uh, time, he in fact defeats the Persians and the Medes in three years. Unprecedented. From the age of 20 to the age of 23, he never suffers a defeat and pushes the then empire beyond what the Persians and the Medians had, and pushes it on into India. The most amazing thing. What does the, then the vision say? The vision says that that horn will be broke, broken off. Just before his 30th birthday, Alexander the Great died. And what happened? Well, it says in the vision there'll be four points after the one point is broken. There'll be four horns. And it says in the prophecy that there will be four weaker kingdoms from that kingdom, the kingdom of Greece. 
they will not have the same power, it says in the text. What happened in history? After Alexander the Great died, there was all kinds of political intrigue and the kingdom of Greece, that kingdom that was then reigning, broke into four major kingdoms that were dominated by his four major generals. Cassander took charge of Greece and Macedonia and Asia Minor. Lysimachus took over Thrace and the southeastern parts of Europe. Seleucus took Syria, and Ptolemy took Egypt. What did it say in the vision? They would push out to the west, to the north, to the east, to the south. West, Greece, Macedonia, Asia Minor. North, Thrice, southeastern Europe. East, Syria. South, Egypt. Exactly as the prophecy had declared. And then it says... From those nations, from that group of people, from that reign, out of one of them will come a small point that will grow up to be large. Verse 9. And he will look to the beautiful land. He will turn to the beautiful land. Beautiful land is a description, of course, of the holy land. It will be a a stern-faced king. Verse 23. What happened in history? 175 to 164 B.C., out of the Seleucus Empire, out of the Seleucus people, came Antiochus Epiphanes IV, one of the most brutal rulers over earth ever, who brutalized people. We'll talk a little bit more about him. So there you have, in chart form, Daniel chapter 8 and the historic reality on the outside column. As precise as Daniel had had prophesied, has been prophesied to him. It it unfolded in the history books. And you can see why those who've tried to take the supernatural out of the word of God have said there's no possible way that anybody could know all of this unless they were living at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes IV in 164 BC. And they were looking back at all that had happened. Now I know you believe all of this and I know that you're amazed... I, I know that you're, you're amazed about the greatness of God, and I know that you believe in the greatness of God, and you have great faith. But here, listen to me. Secondly, God is, God is amazingly and completely in charge and control of the affairs of the kingdoms of this world. The, the vision of the mornings and the evenings in verse 26 says this is being, that has been given to you is true. So what does this mean to us? Well, well, if God is is that powerful and that dominant, then all of these details come to pass, then surely he can take care of you. That that when all of the the things around you are are perplexing and disturbing and and it's it's coming in upon you and, and you realize that there's a real... Uh, there's there's uh, inexplic- inexplicable things happening to you, then you can know that, that your God is in charge. You can take comfort in that. You can be strengthened by that. It's all mapped out in advance. By the way, the one that was chosen to explain this to Daniel was Gabriel, the very same Gabriel, who was chosen by God To talk to Mary and Joseph and share with them the amazing plans that God had to bring a Savior to save us from our sins. Well, with the um, 
the time that we have left, I want to share two more points with you. And they're, they're related to that. Embedded within this theology, I think is some really earthy practicality that I want to leave with you this morning. I mean, that's all the amazing stuff that we've looked at. And that's all the reason at the macro level to be strengthened by what God is all about and who God is. And, and that's the picture. And that's the point of the picture. That, that you see behind the scenes and you've been given this glimpse into God's playbook, which is an amazing thing to, to entrust his people. I mean, think of this. The sovereign God of the universe loves you so much that he wants you to know about his playbook. But he also has embedded in here some really important lessons for us on, on practical, earthy, uh, day-to-day realities that are demonstrated by two of the players in these historic events. One, Alexander the Great, and the second, Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth. I think it's rather fascinating that in verse 8, it says the goat, and by the way, we know that the goat, the hairy he-goat, is in fact Greece. It says the goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And it says in the description of that prophecy that the large horn is a king. And we've determined historically that that king was Alexander, and what was he called? Alexander the Great. Became very great. At the height of his power. When Alexander the Great had pushed nine years of war on his soldiers. And by the way, he, he amassed the greatest army, the most dedicated army that had ever, had ever occurred. And they pushed forth and they never ever def- had suffered a defeat, not ever. For nine years they were at battle. He came to power at the age of 20 when his father died. Until they got to India. And they were pushing into India. And history tells us that finally his soldiers started mutinying. They'd had enough. They had been away from their families for years and years. And they began to ask themselves, I'm sure, the questions, what is the point of all of this? What are we doing? And there's an important lesson for all of us here. And it is this, that success can outstrip its capacities to be maintained, particularly when the effort is human strength and human savvy alone. It says this, that at the height of his power, the horn was broken off. Just two months before his 30th birthday, Alexander the Great died. Not from battle. He just died. Now let me point out something to you for our lives. The sheer energy that Alexander the Great put into being great is the reason he collapsed. He became a victim of his own ability to succeed. Let me talk to you about something. And this is so appropriate to the Western world. Alexander the Great had one vision and one vision alone. 
and it was to succeed. That was his vision, to succeed. There's a huge problem with a vision like that. A vision like that lacks morality. It lacks substance. It lacks structure. It lacks service. It lacks care. You have encountered this in your own life. You know people like this. Their whole reason to exist and to work and to expend energy is for more. That's the vision. It's just more. There are many people who have expended everything they have to get to where they are only to find that they don't have enough to keep what they were able to get. That's what happened to Alexander the Great. It'll all cave in. I was listening um, this week. I'm sort of fascinated by the Republican primaries. And uh, I was listening to Mitt Romney give a speech before the South Carolina primary a couple of nights ago. And something he said put shivers up and down my back. And I didn't listen to anything else he said because while I'm not trying to get political here or sway any votes, because this is Canada, we can't anyway. I was just thinking, he said, um, he stood up and he said, um, the vision that I have for the United States of America, let me make sure I say this exactly right the way he said it. The system that I have come to represent, he says, is built on merit, not entitlement. Now, he was taking a shot, of course, at Obama care. And he was making the point that the greatness of the United States of America is all based upon its vision for merit. You hear what he's saying? He's saying it's all about the strongest will succeed and survive. And that's what's made us great. You know, when your vision is all about merit, what that means is that the strongest, the smartest, the brightest, and the best get their rewards from production and more. And that's what it's always all about. You know what's the problem with a vision like that? It lacks any concern about the less abled, about the disabled, about the poor, about those who didn't get to go to culturally elite schools, who can't merit the best things. It lacks service, care, structure, heart. It's all about more for more's sake. And I believe that that Mitt Romney, probably inadvertently, spoke in that one phrase, the reason the West is in the process of collapsing morally and economically. Because when your whole vision and all of your values are only about succeeding, about more, about production... When that's your whole vision and goal, you continue to set a new high watermark. 
And every time you set that new high watermark, it requires more abilities and more resources and more energy and more, the, more expending of time and effort and all of that. And eventually you don't have enough abilities, you don't have enough skills, you don't have enough resources. And you know what you start to do? You start to borrow. You start to borrow on future resources because you don't have present resources to manage all that you've acquired. And so you start to borrow from care and from service and from family and from happiness and from, from, from uh, worthwhile goals. Things that you used to spend time depositing into, you now borrow from. And eventually, it all snaps like it did for Alexander the Great. I totally agree with Mitt Romney that we should not be raising a generation of people who think about entitlement. But I also don't want to raise a generation of people who only think about merit and more and production and success for no other vision than because we want to win and succeed. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. You don't have the human resources to manage life. And then he goes on to say this, so that having withstood, how does it, how does it finish? You will be able to stand. After you've expended all that you have, that's when Alexander the Great died. But not God's people. Because after you've expended all that you have, if it's been built on the power of God, you will be able to still stand. That's the difference. And so that's the lesson of Alexander the Great, but there's a lesson of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Because maybe most of us in here uh, don't have the privileges of, of great success, of great prosperity, of great conquests, of great wins. But all of us know what it's like to watch some sneaky, dishonest, rotten person succeed around us. All of us know what it's like, I think, and of course I'm, I'm talking before I came to, to work among the good people of Calvary or in the church setting, but all of us know in the secular scenario what it's like to say, God, do you see what's going on here? Do, do you see what they're doing? Their deceitfulness their dishonesty, the smoke and mirrors, and their prospering and succeeding. Come on, Lord. What's with that? This story helps us once again to keep our feet on the ground when all hell is broken loose around us. 
that we might be careful not to be overly unsettled by the fact that very often deceitfulness and trickery seems to be rewarded with power and position. Listen to the descriptions here from verse 9. There came this other horn, started small, grew, to, to, grew in power to the south, the east, toward the holy land, the beautiful land. It, it grew until it reached the, the host of the heavens. I mean, this, this thing grew up. It, it even threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. What does that mean? What we're called, God's people are called stars in the universe. I mean, this, this horrible, wicked, rebellious individual... Shaking his fist at God was even even able to succeed at beating up on God's people. He even got to set himself up against the, the great prince of the host. He even took away the religious ceremonies and he desecrated the temple, the place of God's, God's meeting place. And then I keep reading in verse 12 and it says, It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. And I'm like, no wonder Daniel was lying ill on the ground. We're like, come on, this makes me sick. It's probably a time in all of our lives and perhaps some of you are in the thick of it right now where it says this is just making us sick. And we're like, God, why do you let this happen? Uh, Where are you? Sometimes being brash, blow the belt, skillful the sneak attack, seems successful. You see, some people are not a victim of their own success, but regularly successful by victimizing other people. And it makes us upset. Let me tell you about this Antiochus Epiphanes guy. He came to power by murdering his nephew. His brother had been the one who was in power, and when his brother died, the next in line, the son, would come to power. The son came to power, and the uncle killed him. He was rewarded by being top cat. His, his M.O. was assassinations, bribes, political intrigue, and huge hatred toward God. The people of God during that time are watching the individual who was responsible for being in charge of the Holy Land, being a person who hated God. And it says he prospered in everything that he did. In 167 BC, he murdered, had had the high priest of the temple murdered so that he could move his own man to be priest of the temple. And after he did that, he had a statue designed to Zeus. And he moved that into the temple of God. So that now, the temple that was once to be a place Where God's people met with God, the presence of God was there. Now he had moved it out and he put the presence of Zeus. And just to rub the the Jewish people's noses in it, his first act of, of ceremony and religion was to sacrifice a pig on the altar. Not only to rub the faces of the people of God, but to shake his fist at heaven and say... Try and fix that, God. 
Now, if I'm God, the man dies right then. That's why I'm not God. It's not God's way. For three and a half years, he shut down the sacrifices. It says 2,300 mornings and evenings. There were two sacrifices per day. Whether anybody came and asked for forgiveness of sin or not, there was always a sacrifice in the morning and in the evening. Numbers chapter 28, verse 3. These were atonement sacrifices for the nation of God's people. He shut them down for 2,300 mornings and evenings. So 2,300 sacrifices. In other words, 1,150 days. Three years and 55 days. December 14th, 164 B.C. Judas Maccabean, a a man, a Jew who was faithful to God, had had enough. Garnered up a bunch of courageous men of God and they cleaned up the temple. Took out the statue of Zeus. Reconsecrated the temple. December 14, of course, is the date we know as as Hanukkah. It's the Feast of Lights, the repair of the temple. This event that took place in 167 B.C. was called in this text, the rebellion that causes desolation. Daniel also calls it later on in the text, the abomination that causes desolation. Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 15, says that at the end of time, watch again for Daniel's prophecy of the abomination of desolation. The same spirit and attitude and reality of what happened in a time of Antiochus Epiphanes IV will be the atmosphere and reality and nature of the final gasp of Satan to try and defeat all the purposes of God before God sets up his eternal kingdom forever and ever. There's so much more we could talk about and we will. But let me just say this to you. That the takeaway for all of us is this. There is a time set for deliverance. Antiochus Epiphanes, one day after another campaign of victory, not long, nine years into his reign, was riding along in his chariot and dropped dead. Not by an arrow, not by a sword, by God. It says in the text that he will be destroyed but not by human power. And so he was. There's a time set for deliverance, beloved. God will win. Take comfort. God knows what he is doing. God knows what he is doing. While powers and principalities in high places encompass your life, God is in charge. Our Father, as God's people this morning have encountered the 
the amazing power of the Ancient of Days who rules over all things and is moving history according to his will and purposes. I pray, Father, that the takeaway of this morning will be a giant reminder to all of us in whatever scenario we find ourselves in, however much the opposition seems to be pressing upon us, that our God is in charge, that our God is over all, that he is moving history exactly according to his will and purposes. And nothing and no one and no power on earth or heaven can change the purposes of God and what he intends to accomplish. So I pray, Father, this morning that we will, in a rousing way with hearts impassioned, proclaim once again that our God reigns over everything to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do we tell the students at UOIT? who find themselves against this gigantic wall of opposition. What, what do we say to each other when, when it seems like we're encompassed by the power of hell and it's pressing down upon us relentlessly over an extended period of time? What, what do we say to each other? We've just sung it. But, but let me say something to you. When, when Daniel heard about these things and how horrible the things were going to be and while it said it was the time of the end and the time in the future and the time far off from him, his heart was still broken for what his own people would have to go through, the people of God who would have to face these hard things and trials and tribulations over time. So what do we say to each other? It says there that Daniel fell down full out. He was aghast. He, he lay ill. It, it is sometimes so devastating, so horrifying, that's the only thing we can do is just fall down. But then it says, he got back up on his feet and he went about the king's business. That's it. Will we tell them? Will we tell each other? Our God reigns. Our God's in charge. There's no wall too big for God. So get back up on your feet and go about the king's business. Because God is in charge of our lives. He's in charge of his glory. He's in charge of making his ways known. He's in charge of bringing an awareness of the Son, Jesus Christ, to people. And he will not be thwarted. So, as God's people, let's take courage. Let's pray like we've never prayed before. Let's declare in worship that our God reigns and live like it because he truly does. Our Father and our God, we offer this to you from hearts that are consoled and comforted and encouraged and emboldened because you, the Ancient of Days, are the only one who sits on the throne over the universe and you will have your ways because you are God and you alone. And so, Lord, we're, we're back on our feet about the king's business. Help us, Lord, to honor you and glorify you in everything, in trial, in tribulation, in success, in victory. 
for Jesus' sake. Amen.